Hello, we'd like to welcome you back to the, Dr. Rook, what's the name of the class? <laughs> it's the optimal, well, the clinic is the Optimal Health Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. It's currently called the Optimal Health and Wellness Clinic, but we're changing the name to the Optimal Health Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. Okay, so, very good. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, that, that's uh, our lifestyle uh, set workshops. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Well, hey, we, we appreciate you joining our, our podcast today. Um, we're, we're adjusting the name, but the bottom line is, is we're talking about lifestyle medicine and how you can actually change your lifestyle and let that be your medicine as opposed to popping pills and so many other things. Uh, family, what we want you to do is get healthy. And one way to get healthy is by changing what you put into your body because you are what you eat. It sounds cliche-ish, but it is very, very true. So this podcast is simply about trying to help you be a better you. And by doing so by means of natural things, as opposed to the foods that you eat, or rather as opposed to the medicines and other synthetic chemicals that are not necessarily in your best interest. So as always, uh, we have Dr. Rook with us today. Dr. Rook, how are you doing today? We're happy to have you again. I'm, I'm doing fine, and thank you so much for having me, uh, Joe. This is this is this has been great. So yes, thank you so much for you know, for having me on your on your show. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you as well. We certainly appreciate all the valuable information that you bring to the show, and uh, the willingness to carve out a part of your day and your schedule to help us out with this. So I thank you so much for that. You know, just to recap, over the last few weeks, we started off talking about the coronavirus and how it's uh, impacting so many communities around the world. And then we drove a little bit deeper into the subject and we focused on what group is mainly impacted by the coronavirus. And unfortunately, it happens to be minorities and specifically in this case, African-Americans as to why they seem to be so infected by this situation. And so we dove a little bit deeper. Now, last week we talked about cardiovascular disease because what we found out is that the majority of people that are uh, being uh, killed by the coronavirus are individuals that have underlying health problems. In fact, statistically, 99% of the people who have died have underlying health problems. So what's one of the biggest issues that uh, underlie a person's health? Well, it's cardiovascular disease. And Dr. Rook, we thank you so much for taking your time out uh, last week in order to discuss the problems and the issues with cardiovascular disease and that it's so broad of a subject to discuss. So we want to thank you for that. We appreciate your time there. So, and so as we go into our discussion today, um, what are other underlying health conditions that impact African-Americans at a greater rate than other races of people? These are things that affect all individuals, but they certainly are more impactful in the African-American community. And one of the biggest things that we always hear about is diabetes. Diabetes. Mm -hmm. Is there something that we can do to reverse or stop diabetes? Why is this such a big underlying health problem so, for so many African-Americans? And so that's going to be the subject of our discussion today, diabetes and what we can do about it. So Dr. Rook, we certainly appreciate you diving into this with us and covering this. So to get us started, let me ask you a question. Um, what does recovery mean that there are, uh, when, when a person is being told that they're immune? And, and I'm kind of going back to the COVID situation because people are hearing that they're recovered and they believe that they're immune and they can't get it again. But let's start there. What exactly is going on there with that uh, statistic and that information that's being put out there? 
We don't know. There's still because the COVID, the the, uh, the pandemic is so is, is so you know so new, and it's only been about three or four months since we've been have been, been in this crisis. So there's a lot of research being done to determine if once you become infected and you get and you recover from it, do, are the antibodies that you produce able to prevent you from getting another infection? And it is not clear that it is because once, once you get infected, your body produces something called neutralizing antibodies. So, so when your body sees, uh, sees the, the virus again, it, the, the antibodies just go crazy and they, they just destroy it. And so you don't really get sick again. And that's how vaccines work. And that's how, that's how um, we protect ourselves. That's how herd immunity works. But they're finding that uh, that uh, the thirty percent of the people who have this is just from China thirty percent in a in a study of one hundred seventy five people thirty percent of them actually had very low levels of neutralizing antibodies and six percent of them had no antibodies so that is a concern because we don't really know um, if everyone who recovers from coronavirus. Uh, will will be immune from it. Will not be able to get it again. The way that you, the way that it works with measles and other other vaccine preventable diseases. So, and this this of course is a, is is a, is is really important because um, I don't know if they, they talk about it a lot on TV, but the the pandemic uh, in nineteen in, uh, in, um, twelve there was the first wave. And then after this was in the in the spring, there was a wave, and then the wave that came back in the fall was uh, was much deadlier. So millions of people died. So we don't know if we're in for something like that again, or if the antibodies that we're producing will prevent a reinfection. So we just don't know. And of course, you know, many people have. Uh, have had the infection and they didn't have many symptoms. So if you get reinfected, is it a, is it a worse disease? We just don't know. We just don't know at this point. Yeah, this is a very scary thing. I know the other day on the TV, excuse me, there was a doctor who was talking about how because of the logistics that go into trying to create a new vaccine between the government and the medical companies and the distribution channels and the human trials and the this and the that and the this and the that, that it becomes very hard to get something out. And as a result, it's quite likely that unless we're going to be shut down for a couple of years, the United States will have to open back up in order to keep the economy going at the risk of not even having a vaccine out there. But the scary thing is, is that people are thinking, well, I've had it once, I can't get it again. But from what you're saying, if, if the trace of that is so low, or if most people have the the highest degree of antibodies in the first 10 to 15 days, then as time goes on, they're going to be much more susceptible to this all over again. But more importantly, not be concerned with protecting themselves against getting it again because they think they're immune to it. And that's a scary thought. This is, this is exactly right. This is exactly where we are right now because we just don't know. So the thing that we could do is to make sure that we're healthy. That we don't have those underlying conditions that increase the risk of severe of a severe infection, because again, as you pointed out earlier, ninety nine percent of those people who actually who died had underlying problems or had a weakened immune system. So 
we need to get we need to be sure that um we don't we don't have these conditions such as diabetes we talked about before heart disease because those things are well, those things predispose us to getting a, a, a more severe infection. So yeah, that's really the only thing that, you know, in absent of vaccine, that's the only thing that's gonna make a difference is if you are, if you're, if you are healthy enough to survive, uh, you know, a, a reinfection or a new infection or a reinfection, because it's, um, it's, it, this this is a this is this is a serious uh, this is a very serious virus. I mean, a lot of people are dying. So far, in Georgia, we have had um, we we had several deaths. I mean, uh, in Georgia, we have um, we've had twenty eight thousand cases, twenty eight thousand six hundred and sixteen cases so far, and. 1,177 deaths. Now, we don't, so the, the, because we have not done widespread testing, we don't truly know how many people had the, had the infection but didn't have a lot of symptoms. But we know that there's at least 27,000 people right now who are actively sick with this disease and of course, overwhelms our healthcare system. And you see, me or the body bags and all these things that are piling up. So it's um it's a it's just a serious situation. You know, I, I do have a concern that the United States is going to be hit particularly hard, uh, mainly because you know th this is a country where the mindset is I have my rights and I can do what I want to do, and to throw caution to the wind because you have your rights. I just don't understand the logic behind it, and it's really concerning because. It's almost like, well, forget the medical community, forget the fact that doctors are working 24 hours around the clock to try to keep people healthy and alive. I don't care because I've got my rights. You see, they're too... Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. That was my point. No, no, no. I, I, I totally hear your point. But there are two sides to that story. Yes, those people should not be out here with guns and trying to, you know, to, to stop the, to stop the, um, the stay-at-home orders. But on the other hand, this is a country without social safety nets. So when you lose your job or if you cannot work, you lose your health insurance. When you, when you don't have any paid sick leave, you don't have um, a, a UBI, which is your universal uh, basic income. I think in this crisis, Spain has, Spain has instituted that. Several, several other countries have said, well, okay, so if we're going to tell you to stay home, we're going to give you some money to stay home. In Spain, all of these countries, but we don't have that. We have not had that in this country. So we have to. The, the, so, so on the one hand, you can understand why these people are doing what they're doing. So, but on, instead of instead of coming out with guns and ammunition and trying to, you know, to kill to kill themselves and other people, they probably should be petitioning the government to give them, you know, a universal. <laughs> and you know paid sick leave and uh, you know universal basic income and things like that to make it to make it easier to stay safe i mean that's the that's, that's the issue so um i because because you know, they they genuinely have an issue because if they don't work if their businesses don't run they will you know they will lose their business they will lose everything but their 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 approach is wrong. <laughs> yeah. 
No, you're, you're exactly right. And I, I do realize that, you know, being, uh, you know, the way I am and the, the way I work, you know, you, you have to keep the, the wheels turning. So I completely get it. Uh, it is a very, very bad situation. Um, you know, and I certainly don't want to get into a discussion of universal health care and politics and all that, but um, <clears throat> it is a bad situation. You're right. So on one side, you have to look at the concern of, for human life. And on the other side, you have to look at economic reasons and try to find the balance. So it's a, it's a very big issue. But well, let's talk about this, though, because this is a, a medical podcast and we are, we're talking about lifestyle medicine. So what type of underlying conditions increase the risk of severe infection? What would you say to that? So we're going to talk about diabetes. Um, so actually all the underlying conditions because you know, there are autoimmune disorders, there's several other disorders. And I think we can probably cover some of those in future, in future podcasts. But, um, so, but diabetes is one of the most common uh, conditions among African-Americans. Mm -hmm. So I think we're twice as likely as uh, non-Hispanic whites to be diagnosed with diabetes. So, it's it's and, and again you know that uh, African Americans have have had the higher high, high, higher death rates than any other ethnic group in the United States at this time. So if we can address some of these uh, the, the reasons why we have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, hypertension, we would be doing ourselves you know a, a, a huge favor. We would be protecting ourselves from. You know, you, you may not be able to, to protect yourself from infection, but you would protect yourself from getting a more, much more severe infection that will kill you. Right, exactly. So the key sounds like it's a matter of building up the immune system in order to prevent these things or help you fight off these viruses and whatnot naturally, as opposed to having to do all these other things because your body uh, can't do it on its own. So that's a a very important point. Now, I, I remember last week there was something very interesting that you brought up. You said something about a patient that you had that the husband tested one way and the wife a different way. And remind our audience of, of that uh, example that you had. They were patients of yours, I believe. Yeah, so, so this, is a, this is a great um, example. I mean, it's one patient. So you need many, many patients. You need a larger study to make any firm conclusions. But this was a really interesting, and I've been thinking about this and trying to work out how, you know, just, just to see what it actually means. So I have a patient who is, um, he is very interested in, 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 in maintaining a plant-based diet because he had several, several health problems. He, again, hypertension, diabetes, the usual things. And he decided that he was going to try to address them by changing his eating habits. Now, he has been very successful at doing that. But his wife has said, no, I'm going to die anyway. You know, something's going to kill me. I'm just going to eat meat and whatever I want. So he has been on a pretty strict, strict plant-based diet. So he, he, um, he call, he, I saw him in the clinic. Uh, about two weeks or about, about four weeks ago, just you know, before the before the shutdowns and all those things, and he then called me about a week later, and he was telling me that he yeah, he has a fever, he's not feeling well. So to make a long story, I think I told you some of it last week. So to make a long story short, he 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 developed uh, he he tested positive for coronavirus. Oh, wow. uh, his, and, but he had a relatively mild infection, whereas his wife had a severe infection and she had to be hospitalized. The family was very concerned that they might lose her. 
So, and diabetes, I believe, is one of the conditions that she had. Now, she's not my patient, so you know, there's no HIPAA violation here. But um, uh, so, but so we're going to talk about diabetes today. But it's so if you can do some, and so we have a we have this notion again, like like you know, we, I'm going to die of something, so I may as well just eat whatever I want and do whatever I want. But you 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 don't have to die unnecessarily. Well, that's good until you get sick. Exactly. <laughs> it's like smoking cigarettes, right? Right. It's all cool until you get sick. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that she could have, you know, she could have really helped herself by being just more, just more cautious about what she ate, and that's um. And that's why we're, we're that's why we do what we do basically to help our patients to make better choices, make better lifestyle choices, so to increase their um, to, to increase you know their their overall health. Yeah, well, no, that's a very good example, and it, it just shows that uh, doing this is beneficial. Now, how long was he actually on this plant-based way of eating before he got sick? about a year he's been doing this for and he has seen really remarkable results in, with his labs mm -hmm. good 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 so so just like with anything else you you have to build it up if you go to the gym and work out one time you're not going to be busting with muscles you know, mm -hmm. you've got to make the changes over time uh, to really see the benefit and so it, it appears that this gentleman has certainly benefited from that yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good that's good so you mentioned that um, diabetes was one of the underlying problems that they had. So uh, what exactly is diabetes? Let's kind of dive into that. What, what exactly is it? So diabetes is not actually one condition. So we talk okay. about diabetes, but it's actually, a, there, are, there, are, there are a series of conditions that, that are lumped under, under the term diabetes. What they all have in common is that there's excess sugar, there's excess glucose in the bloodstream. Okay. And the word diabetes actually comes from ancient Greek, is where um, it meant siphon or urine, right? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, mellitus, which is the, the, the official term for diabetes is actually um, diabetes mellitus. Mellitus means sweet or honey. So that's how ancient doctors diagnosed diabetes. They would taste the, they would taste the urine, then they would realize this is, this is, you know, this is, well, they didn't call it, well, they called it diabetes mellitus then, but I don't think they had, they, most people who had diabetes, who had type one diabetes, especially, they would die because they didn't have any, any treatment. So now, so that again, the two parts, type one diabetes is when your body is making antibodies. It's an autoimmune disorder and your body makes antibodies to the pancreas. The pancreas is the organ that makes insulin. So the pancreas is destroyed by the antibodies. Um, and so you need to get insulin replacement for the rest of your life. Hmm, okay. Yeah, well, and what about type two? Because it seems like a lot of people have type two. Right. That's what I hear about a lot. So 90, about over 90% of people who have diabetes have type two diabetes. And type two diabetes is where it's, uh, it's, it's more of a metabolic disorder that you can, and you can reverse by changing how you eat. With type two diabetes, your liver is making too much glucose. So we have this myth that every time anybody says, um, 
No, diabetes, they, they, they automatically think it's because you're eating too much sugar because there's sugar in the blood. So there's this connection, which is a false connection between you're eating too much sugar and that's what's causing it. No, diabetes is actually caused, type two diabetes mm -hmm. is caused by your liver churning out too much glucose. And the medication that most people get put on when they have, when they're first diagnosed is metformin. Metformin goes to the liver cells and it stops them from churning out glucose. That's how metformin works. Okay. So, so, but you can do a similar thing by changing the lifestyle reasons that your liver is churning out too much glucose. Okay, so let, let me just kind of recap that right quick. So if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, type one diabetes and type two diabetes, even though they produce too much sugar in the body in different ways, both of those can be affected in a positive way by changing the way you eat. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Oh, absolutely. So type one diabetes is again, it's, a, it's more of a genetic autoimmune disorder, but Type one diabetes is now they're now they're looking at the because it's usually an, the onset is in childhood, and they're finding that many well children who get milk to raw milk or just you know milk too uh -huh. early, it gets because their digestive systems are not able to prevent the milk from going into their bloodstream. So when the milk goes into their bloodstream. Their, their bodies make antibodies to the milk, to the, to the, to the, to the milk protein. So that then, start, those antibodies then travel to the, so they travel to the pancreas and start attacking the pancreas. Hmm. So if you can prevent um, parents or stop parents from giving them, their children milk, just raw, just milk, not just, not necessarily raw as in not processed. I'm, I mean raw as in formula. So formula, when you may give them formula, the, the, the milk is, the, the dairy is processed in a way that it should not cause, um, cause diabetes. Mm -hmm. But giving, giving children, just feeding them, you know, babies milk may be one of the reasons that people develop type one diabetes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because you start, and then those the, the antibodies cross react the pancreas. So, um, what about type two? Do, do we have any ideas of what causes that? Yeah. So with type two, your liver is churning out too much glucose, and is doing that because of pretty much what you're eating and how you're living. So, um, yeah. So, so fat, and so there's so there's a it's an interplay of hormones. That's why we call it more of a metabolic disease. Mm -hmm. So. When you're eating a lot of fat and protein, your body, you fat, fat and protein stimulates a hormone called glucagon. Glucagon does the opposite of insulin. Glucagon's job is to put glucose into the bloodstream. So when you're eating a lot of fat and protein, you're getting more glucagon. Glucagon blocks insulin. So because insulin's job, remember, is mm -hmm. to stop your liver from making glucose and to push glucose into the cells. So that insulin has two, two main, well, it has many other functions, but those are the two related to diabetes. In that it goes, it blocks your liver, it stops your liver from churning out glucose, and it puts the, the glucose that's in the bloodstream into your cells. So, well, it is a, well, it's a, it, it's a receptor. It's a, it's a little bit complicated, but I don't want to get too technical, you know, with it. With this well, you know what, I, you, you've given me a, a illustration of this, and 
if, with your permission, I'd like to make it available to our listeners if, if they request a copy. But um, this is very interesting. I'm seeing things on here related to high fat and protein, obesity and fat, mm-hmm. uh, fear and stress, uh, animals and, and their proteins. And I mean, this, this is incredible. So all these things seem to have some impact on why uh, diabetes is, is flourishing from what you're saying here. Well, yes. So, fat, so for instance, fat and protein, think of fried chicken. Fried chicken is, <clears throat> fried chicken is mostly fat and protein, right? right. Uh, so so eating, eating, so the Black Women's Health Study, it's found that women who ate two servings of fried chicken a week had a 58% increased risk of diabetes. Ooh. And so this was earlier in 2010. And they said, well, you know, everybody was thinking carbs, carbs, carbs. But no, the fat and protein stimulates glucagon. Well, that's one of the things it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stimulates glucagon. And then that blocks insulin. Um, so also, if you're eating a lot of fried chicken, chances are you may become obese. And obesity, obesity contributes to diabetes in that you have, you have fat, fat is deposited within the cells of your liver and within your, your, the, your muscle cells. And so it's harder to get insulin to work and to push, the, to push glucose into those cells. So that's another way that, you know, your diet, this is really excess calories because it's not just carbohydrates. Any type of excess calories will make you obese. And, uh, but, but there's interesting studies about that too, in that there's uh, the EPIC study that you can, everybody can Google, found that people who ate the most meat actually had the highest rates of obesity. Mm-hmm. And those who ate, and, and it was interesting that it was chicken. Chicken had uh, a higher risk of obesity than, uh, than other types of meat. So, um, but, but so, so if you're eating a lot of fried chicken, you're gonna, you have a higher risk of obesity, which then it can increase your risk of diabetes. So you have those two things working there. So you have obesity and now you have glucagon, right? That's you're gonna get black people to stop eating fried chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, would... <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> if we, we would be a healthy, we would be healthier. And of course, um, fear and stress, fear mm-hmm. and stress causes, uh, um, and of course, there's we are we are probably the most stressed people in America. You know, we have to do poverty, racism, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, fear and stress increases uh, cortisol secretion. Cortisol blocks insulin. Mm-hmm. So all so insulin again. Insulin's job is to stop your liver and push all the glucose, the excess glucose that's in your in your in your bloodstream. Uh, is to clear your is to clear your bloodstream. You stop the, the liver from making extra extra glu- um, glucose, and you you push it into the cells. So cortisol, when you're when you have a lot of fear and stress, cortisol blocks insulin. So now, so if you got three things, so you've got three things so far. So you've got the glucagon from the from the fried chicken and the hamburgers and those things, and then you've got the obesity, and then you've got the fear and the stress that all of those things are creating conditions that block insulin, right? Uh, and, and, and then you have the animal part because of the, there's high cortisol in animals. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So animal, so after every meal of, of animal protein, you have a, a, an increase in serum cortisol. 
but most of these we measure cortisol from saliva. So after every meal of animal protein, there is an increase. And they believe that it's coming from the fact that animals before they die, surge will surge cortisol because they're stressed. They're going to die. They don't want to die. Yeah. So they're, and so that cortisol stays in their tissues. Mm. Cortisol cell death occurs in like four minutes and the cortisol of half-life is 90 minutes. So the cortisol has got no place to go. It just sits there. So when you eat meat, you're taking in the animal's cortisol and cortisol is absorbed by diffusion. So it goes into your, in, into your, into your bloodstream and increases your cortisol level. Now it doesn't increase it so high if you're not already stressed and it's not that much of a problem. But if you're already stressed, then that just drives the cortisol that's already circulating higher. So that's where this whole discussion about lifestyle medicine comes into play because we're talking about a lifestyle of being stressed, a lifestyle of being obese, a lifestyle of uh, eating high fat and, and protein foods and all these things. And it, it seems like it all ties together to just create a very complicated problem, which will result in a diabetic condition. That's right. Exactly. And so many people will tell you that, you know, I didn't have, I was fine. And then I went through this really bad divorce mm -hmm. or, had a lawsuit or I had so much stress and next thing I know I had diabetes people will say that because that was the stress of course and when you when you're under stress you tend to be eating more fried chicken and more more comfort foods and so it's all uh, it's 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 all interconnected so so that's why there is so such a you know such a high rates of diabetes um, you know, among among pretty much every, every every ethnic group, but we have the highest rates of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Right. So now this whole discussion is kind of focused on cutting back on fat and protein, and it, it's a little bit confusing because the discussion of what diabetes is ties it to sugar. So what's the connection here between you know we're saying cut back on fat and protein because of insulin, but what, what's the connection with sugar? How does that all tie in together? Right. So when, whenever you talk about diabetes, again, people's people, the first thing they think is you're eating too many donuts, you're eating too much sugar, sugar, sugar. But that is not an even, even some of our, our dietitians and health professionals will tell patients to stop eating fruit, which is probably the worst advice that you can give to people because that is not what causes diabetes, right? So yes, if eating fruit will act will will after after every after pretty much after you but pretty much any food you eat that that has carbohydrates will break down into sugar and it will go and it will increase your blood sugar level okay. your blood sugar level is supposed to go up it is supposed to go up and then come down that is normal mm -hmm. when you have diabetes and your liver is already churning out lots of lots of glucose it goes a little bit higher but it's your your after every meal of carbohydrates, your blood your blood sugar is going to go up, but it's going to come back down. And that rise in blood sugar is what stimulates insulin to start working. So, but so so that is then that is how our bodies are designed to work. Mm -hmm. But tend to look at that rise in glu in blood glucose and think, oh, that that's what's causing diabetes. That's not what's causing diabetes. So, but. So when so when we have when we have people who are are keen to do the plant based diet and they actually cut back on the fat and the protein in their diet, 
they actually can can reverse diabetes completely. They can get. Oh, you can. Whoa, 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 whoa! You said you can reverse diabetes completely, 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 completely. I have patients who have gone from hemoglobin A1C of nine to five point five. Yes, because they have. But these people may have a commitment, right? They made a commitment to just going out on a plant-based diet and staying on it and becoming physically active and making the lifestyle changes that will reverse their diabetes. So, but, so, but it, it is absolutely 100% possible to completely reverse diabetes. It's a type, by the way, type two diabetes. And people with type one diabetes, when you go on a plant-based diet, it makes your insulin more sensitive. Because even though you're taking insulin, you can still have insulin resistance. So people who have type 2 diabetes benefit from being in a plant-based diet because the insulin that they're taking is more sensitive. Their body is more sensitive to it, and it works better. And among type 2 diabetics, they uh -huh. completely reverse diabetes. That's, that's just incredible because all you always hear is take this pill, you're gonna to have to take these shots. But again, it seems like we're not looking at the underlying cause of the problem. We're just trying to allow people to maintain their lifestyle, which is unhealthy, and just take more medicine to beat it back. That doesn't sound like the right way to handle things. So it's, it's kind of disappointing. I understand that there was a new study about this also though, where they kind of dived into this in order to um, put some science behind it and, and prove it. So. Uh, I'm looking at this this graph that you gave me, the uh, SDA studies. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, let me tell you about the new study first, because the okay, seven sure. done a few years ago. But this is a, so people are always looking for, and they're always looking at the reason. So this was a really interesting study that found um, they found that uh, compared to people who did not eat meat, who had very little meat. Those who are eating the most meat actually had a 33% increased risk of getting diabetes. So again, we have this notion that it's sugar, 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 but actually among those people, it was the, the meat that would increase their risk of diabetes. Mm -hmm. And it, just, it wasn't just red meat or processed meat, chicken and uh, any type of meat increased, it, it had, this, had a similar effect. But processed meat was probably the worst. So. 50 grams of processed meat, which is about two strips of bacon a day, mm -hmm. increases the risk of diabetes by 46%. So that's that's pretty significant. So um, processed meat would be bacon, it would be pastrami. Yes. Um, um, all those uh, Italian uh, meats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any type of processed meats increase the risk of, uh, of diabetes significantly. And this is not the first study. But so it's, it's, so we, we keep doing studies, doing studies, and the, the data is there, but it's not getting across to our doctors. It's not getting across to people. And they're still telling them carbohydrates. So we, um, that's why I'm glad to be talking here with you because at some point we have to start, to start getting this information out, especially to our population who 
have higher risks of diabetes. So yeah, and the Seventh-day Adventist studies are really interesting studies because Seventh-day Adventist studies, you know who Seventh-day Adventists are? Seventh-day Adventists is a religion where people, where the, one of the tenets of the religion is that it's unclean to eat meat. So even though like with every every religion, people are gonna do everything they say to the letter and there's some who are gonna do nothing. You know, they're gonna just eat whatever they want and have a good time. So, well, good, quote unquote, good time. You know? But they'll have, uh, yeah, they'll eat whatever they want. And so this is, so they're a great group to study because you can actually, you know, see the difference in, uh, in just the diet because a lot of the other sociodemographic you know, features of the, of the sociodemographics of the population are very similar. So you're looking specifically at diet. And so they found that one serving of red meat a day increased the risk of diabetes by 19%. And of course, and so, so, so salted fish and, and, and processed meats in that study increased the risk of diabetes by 38%. But the most interesting uh, uh, finding in that study was that long-term long-term eating meat, eating meat for over 17 years, just one serving of any type of meat a week increased the risk of diabetes by 74%. Yeah. So, 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 is, so <laughs> that's that's an incredible study. You're talking about one serve of, serving of meat per week. For 17 years, for you know, they did it because right. they followed these people for many, many years. Right. So those who had been eating wow. at least one serving of meat, oh, of any type of meat per week, had an increased risk of diabetes by 74 percent. Now they also probably were doing other things, you know, not not exercising and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But those who were doing, those who were eating at least one serving. Now again, these were the Seventh Day Adventists who chose not to follow whatever the you know their religion. So right. probably doing other things too, mm -hmm. but for the most part, one serving of uh, one serving of meat increased the risk of of diabetes by seventy four percent. So that's a pretty staggering statistic. And there's other interesting studies like so. And then so we look at we look at our population in America, and we look at African Americans, and we say, oh, we eat so much chicken, but other people eat chicken too, right? right. So Epic the Epic Interact study which was done on, on Europe, in, in Europe, on Europeans, found that people, and this, was, and this was interesting too, because these people were normal weight. So we always know when you go, when you have diabetes and you go to the doctor, they say, lose some weight, just lose some weight and you'll be fine. So losing weight will help to, you to control your blood sugar and help you to, 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 to control the diabetes. But it's not the only thing because there are people who lose weight and they still have diabetes. And that's this study was so interesting because the, this Epic, Epic Interact study found that people who are normal weight, right? It was, so if you're a normal weight, every 50 grams of any type of meat, any 50 grams of meat. So 50 grams is about half a chicken breast. Okay. So, so every 50 grams of meat increased the risk of diabetes of any meat by 8%. But what they found was chicken. So chicken was the, was the most interesting finding in that study. So having 50 grams of chicken increased the risk of diabetes by 20% hmm. among normal weight people. So those so eating eating a lot of chicken is a risk factor 
So even if you're exercising, you're keeping your weight down and everything else, you still are increasing your risk of diabetes right. by what you eat, and in this case, chicken. And this was, this was, in, this was among normal weight people mm. in Europe. So it isn't African-Americans, it is in Europe. So there is a strong correlation between what you eat, but between, again, not sugar and candy and fruit, but, but between fat and protein and meat, you know, any, any kind of meat and diabetes. Well, that's really interesting. I appreciate you sharing all those statistics. And uh, again, for our listeners, I do want to put up this graph that you've given me, um, <clears throat> which kind of identifies some of these things, uh, the percentages and everything else. I think it's just an interesting statistics for people to have as they uh, try to encourage themselves and maybe even to get support from relatives in order to change their behavioral patterns. Uh, it's so very important. You know, talking about behavioral patterns and diabetes, there's something that has become a staple for Americans when it comes down to breakfast. And that's right. eating eggs with breakfast. And right. I, I hear there's a correlation between that and diabetes as well. Well, yeah. So a lot of my patients who come in, they have diabetes and they can't you know, control it. You say, well, what do you have for breakfast? Two eggs, sausage and bacon. Right? Uh -huh. yep. you, say, you, say, uh, you say breakfast and people think eggs, sausage and bacon. Mm -hmm. And so, so, yes, so men who eat, and again, this is also from the, 70, from the Adventist study. So men who eat uh, seven or more eggs a week are 58% more likely to get to develop type 2 diabetes than those who did not eat eggs. That's, that, that's wow. a significant percentage of people. So eating, again, fat and protein, right? Mm -hmm. So fat and protein increases the risk of diabetes. And then women were actually 77% more likely to become diabetic if they had at least one egg a day. And of course, they have two eggs a day and they come in and they have diabetes and they're wondering, well, which medication should I be taking? Do I need more of this? And if you say, well, stop eating the eggs, let's stop by eating, stopping the eggs, they usually see an improvement in their diabetes. You know, that's, that's really incredible. Cause I, I even think about some of the restaurants that I've eaten at over the years. And there are certain restaurants where if you look at the breakfast menu, every single item has eggs in it. It's yes. Just, it's just a staple here in America. Right. And uh, it's amazing. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? There's a reason for that, okay? So there's a reason why. Uh, so I don't know how much time we have left. No, go ahead. I think this is important. Feel free to yeah. share. So in 1929, in 1920, so there, there's a company called Beechnut Packing Company. The Beechnut Packing Company wanted to increase sales of bacon. So they hired, uh, uh, um, well, he was, uh, he's called the father of spin, but he was, uh, he was a marketer. He's, he wrote a book actually called Propaganda. Uh -huh. and he, was, uh, he, was, he was a marketer. So he, he has, and, and he has an interesting connection to Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud is the psychologist. Everybody knows who Sigmund Freud is. Um, one of the father of modern, fathers of modern psychology. Uh -huh. So psychiatry. So he, um, he developed this uh, this marketing campaign, and you you all can actually see him talking about it. He's he's he's, he's, he's died. He's passed on now, but he he has a, there's a video of him on on uh, on YouTube talking about this marketing campaign, in which he commissioned he he sent an, a questionnaire to doctors, and doctors he asked them um, 
what is, what is a hearty breakfast? No, he asked them, uh, you, he said to them, which isn't actually true, but he said to them, you people lose energy at night when they're sleeping. So uh, is a hearty breakfast a good thing? That's kind of what he asked them. And they all said, yes, a hearty breakfast is a good thing. And so this was his study. And so he took this, this, uh, this pseudoscience and he, he sent it out as a, as, as a scientific study. And he sent it to, to doctors to show them the results of this. And he, he told them that, um, that, uh, the, this, the most doctors agree that a hearty breakfast is good for you. And along with this study results, he had ads for eggs and bacon, right? Mm-hmm. And so especially bacon, because that's what they were really trying to sell with bacon. So, so in the minds of doctors and then doctors told their patients and in the newspapers. So he published this study in the newspapers along with an ad for eggs and bacon. So there was this subliminal association between a good, hearty, healthy breakfast and bacon and eggs. And this was in the 1920s. So our grandparents got this and got this information and then they passed it on to their kids and then to us. And so basically that is how, that's how the, the American breakfast of eggs and bacon was, was born. Because before that time people had bacon, but they didn't eat it for breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. So since then, I believe like 70% of the bacon sold in America is sold for breakfast, is eaten at breakfast. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so, <laughs> this shows the power of spin and propaganda. Yes, exactly. And that's really why we think that, uh, that, that bacon, is, uh, bacon is breakfast food. Bacon and eggs are breakfast food. Now, interestingly, he was also hired by the tobacco industry to, um, to, to, to connect smoking with freedom. So I'm not sure if you remember the ads. You've come a long way, baby. Cowboys with the cigarettes and everything. Right. I remember all of that, yeah. Right. So if you you associate, so the the way the bacon and eggs uh, commercial worked is that if you tell, if if people, people, everybody wants to be vital and happy and, and unhealthy. So if you can associate your product with their desire to be healthy and happy, then they will then connect them in their minds and and then then you're good you don't have to you don't have to tell anybody to eat more bacon they will make that connection and buy more bacon and eggs and so that's how it worked and the same thing with with virginia slim well i'm not sure if i'm supposed to use the but 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 with with let's slip that i don't know if they're still around so it should be okay so that's how these ads that's how these ads. so then in 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 the 1920s he had women um, walking down Fifth Avenue with this, this cigarettes in their hands, like then they were called torches of freedom. So there, so women wanted to be liberated. They wanted to wear, you know, shorter skirts and to be freer. And so cigarettes became a symbol of that freedom. But you see all those old movies in the twenty, in the nineteen twenties, all these old movies. Mm-hmm. Of, everybody's got a cigarette, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, because that was that was that was the the well. That was promoted by people like Edward Bernays, because that's who that's the, that was the, the the marketer Edward Bernays. He was uh, Sigmund Freud's uh, cousin. Um, Incredible, right? But yeah. you know what? We we see that today too, because I often tell people, listen to all the commercials that you see on TV. Just about every one of them. Well, I'm not going to say just about every one of them, but a, a vast majority of them 
are of medicines mm -hmm. and pills and things like that. But if you close your eyes and listen to what they're saying and get away from the images of people skipping through the lolly, the, the, um, <laughs> you know, through the fields, right? It's like, are you kidding me? Why would I want to take this stuff? Exactly. You know, but they're, they're doing exactly the same thing. They're connecting wellness and happiness with, oh yeah, and this might make your arm fall off and your, your head will twist around backwards and all this kind of stuff. But people aren't hearing that. They're actually looking at the happy people, as you said, and yeah. the, 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 you know, the parties they're having and their, the things that they're doing. So they're connecting that with the medication and they're, they're, then the fine print about it's going to cause death and, you know, and hear loss and all these other things. They're not hearing that. And so they go to the doctors and they say, you know, I want this new medication because, you know, I have this disease and I want this new medication. And that's how, and that's, it was actually against the law for, 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 for drug companies to market directly to, to, to patients. But that, that went out the window. And now, and now that's how, that's how a lot of, uh, you know, from, that's how a lot of drugs are sold. They market to the patients, patients go to the doctor and say, I want this drug. Yeah, which is incredible. This, from what I understand, this is one of the only countries that allows that. You don't exactly. see all this advertisement for drugs and pills in other countries. So it's, it's quite interesting. But that, that really puts a cap on our discussion for today because it, it rounds it out with a nice bow in simply saying, listen to how you can benefit yourself. Forget all the hype, all the pretty pictures and the commercials and all the rest of it. Do what the things that you need to do based on the way your body was designed. And your body was designed to eat healthy, to eat plants and vegetables and other things, and you can benefit yourself and even reverse diabetes from what you were saying uh, by means of doing so. What, what an important discussion for us to have with people to teach them to benefit themselves. You know, what do you think? I mean, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And we really have to stop people to have to, um, Try to help people to ignore advertising, you know, so ignore, <laughs> you know, ignore because they're not. So I've, I've not actually seen much ever. Everything I've ever seen is to eat fruit for breakfast, right? Eat mm -hmm. fruit. You, you don't see that. So people, oh. when again, the breakfast, it's uh, it's either some kind of cereal or it's uh, or it's bacon, you know, sausage and eggs. So yeah, that oh, pancake. Right. So yeah, I've never seen anybody skipping through the lolly, the lily fields with uh, an apple in their hand. It's always take this pill. Right, and exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Right. So this is beautiful. I, I really enjoyed this discussion today. We had a wonderful time, and you brought out a lot of good points. Um, I'm looking forward to making those slides available for our listeners. I'm sure they would like to have those as a point of reference and to look at as uh, we go through this discussion and they're able to listen to it. So um, do this for me, if you don't mind, to wrap up today's podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about the clinic that uh, you run there here in Atlanta? Yeah, so we have a lifestyle medicine clinic here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's all the, um, well, it's currently called the Optimal Health and Wellness Clinic, but we're changing the name to the Optimal Health Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. And this clinic, um, we help people to, to, to treat the underlying causes of disease. So for instance, and we, we, we are not we are not anti-medications right so if you come in and you actually need to be on a medication we can we can we can prescribe a medication for you to get you stabilized and then help you to change your eating habits and your lifestyle behaviors to to not need the medication our goal is to help you to not need medications but not just to take you off your medications if you need them we also, yeah yeah 
We also have excellent doctors at Morehouse who can also help you to, uh, primary care, who can also help you to adjust your medications while we look at your, 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 um, your, lifestyle, your lifestyle behaviors. And so we're looking at, uh, again, plant-based diet because that has the biggest impact. Now, I just wanna talk about plant-based because yes, we, we promote a plant-based diet, but the word based is often not, not understood or not heard. Based mean only okay it does not mean only so people will come in and they'll say oh i could just never eat i can't just vegetables alone i can't that's not what we're asking you to do we're asking you to move in the direction of eating most eating a mostly plant-based diet and based means foundation so plants should be the foundation of your diet and that's where we sort of leave it now um we don't really want you to be adding bacon eggs and sausage mm -hmm. but you have to make that, that transition. And what tends to happen is that people, when they, once, they, once they change their eating habits, they usually feel so good that they themselves begin to eliminate those foods. But again, it's up to, you know, it based is foundation. So plants should be, the whole, whole plant foods should be the foundation of your diet. And that's the type of diet we promote. So plant a plant-based stress management, physical activity, uh, adequate sleep. These are all the things that we help our patients to do. Okay, no, that's, that's very good because, and I, I like what you were saying about that because in, in our culture, it's always, what's the meat? When you talk about the meal, what's the meat? And then you build around that. You add some vegetables, you add this, you add that, but the center of the meal is always meat. And so right. what you're saying is transition that, make the center of the meal the vegetables, and stay away from the meat altogether if you can, but at least as you're transitioning, start making the vegetables the center of your, of your diet. That, that is very, very well said. That is 100% right. That is exactly, uh, you said that very, very well, yes. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. So we wanna let you know also that uh, the website is up and available. It's the lifestylemedicine.solutions site, and you can go there and listen to these podcasts and also find out additional information about Dr. Rook and the clinic here at the Morehouse School of Medicine. So again, that's lifestylemedicine.solutions uh, in order to get to that website. So that's one thing we wanna encourage you to do. And uh, we'll try to make the, the slides available as best we can also. They might be posted on another site, but we'll, we'll make sure you get those. Uh, one other thing I wanna mention before we wrap up for today, I wanna state that I'm not insensitive to the situations that individuals are in, the restaurant owners and the hair salon uh, people and the barbers and all of them. I have been self-employed for the vast majority of my life. So I understand the situation that, that they're going through. And it is very difficult to decide, do I go out and generate the money I need to make to take care of my family? Or do I uh, sit at home and don't go out at all in order to not make other people sick? So this is a very, very difficult situation. And I just wanted to reiterate that because I, I didn't want to come across as insensitive to individuals' financial needs uh, during this period of time. This is a very, very serious situation that we're dealing with. We don't know where the end is just yet, and um, hopefully it will not turn out like the Spanish flu, but we just don't know because we're looking into the future. So mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to bring that point up. But um, Dr. Brook, anything else you wanted to add with that? I, see, I, I, I didn't think, but I think that we're not understanding. I think that it's not just you, but like, you know, you go on Facebook or you hear people talking about those people and it seems that they're just crazy. 
but they, you know, they're, 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 the guns and the stuff is a little bit crazy. But the, the underlying reason why they're out there is real, you know? Yeah. We're, 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 we need social safety nets in our country. Yeah, that's very true. You know, it's, it's always been a country where if you just work hard, you know, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. But, I mean, look at the fact of Tom Hanks coming down with this virus. I mean, he's very successful in this craft and I'm sure makes a ton of money. But mm -hmm. he really got sick. And so it's certainly not excluding people uh, from a monetary standpoint. Uh, this is a disease that no matter what your status is and uh, what you make and everything, even where you live from that standpoint, you can be affected by it. Uh, some places more than others, obviously, but uh, it's a very, very serious situation. So, um, so Dr. Rourke, I, I thank you for that. And, and again, to any of our listeners, uh, if I came across insensitive, I do want to apologize about that. I absolutely understand uh, your I don't, I don't, no, I don't want to say much, but I did not think you were being insensitive at all. I think that there is a, that there, that we, we have to fight, we have to begin to fight for, I don't know if I should be using these, but I think we have to begin to fight for better working, for better standards in our country. You know, we, we need, we need social safety nets. And this whole, this is what this crisis is pointing out. This is, this is why, you know, this is, we, we, we see that people lose their, they lose their jobs and they lose their health insurance. These are the things that, and if not you, but there are a lot of people who are there, they're, they're on, they're, you know, they're older, they're on Medicare, they don't care, but I don't, I don't think they care, but it's not an issue for them, right? right. But a lot of people, they're on food lines. They are, they are really, really struggling. And then they, someone, then they says, well, you, go, you have to go and pay COBRA now, which is the, you know, the, the health insurance supplement option, you lose your job. Where are they going to get the money for that? Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot. So in addition, so so talking, going back to what we we're talking about, the stress and the fear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, what, it's certainly not helping things. That's for sure. So, yeah. So stress and fear of of a crisis like this really make would make somebody who maybe was borderline diabetic diabetic because you have to worry about where you're going to get food. Mm -hmm. You know. So if if you were to get the 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 virus, how are you going to pay for it? The, your, your your care? And okay, so the government may pay for your care, but what if you also have diabetes? What if you also have another condition that's not related to the coronavirus? How are you gonna pay for that? So there's just so much that causes, so this actually ties in very, very well with, uh, with what we were talking with diabetes. Mm -hmm. Because again, stress and fear increases, increases cortisol levels. And that adds to all the other things you're doing like, you know, the fried chicken and other things like that. But that, that adds to it. And that makes whatever condition you have worse, not just diabetes, but it makes everything worse. Yeah. You bring so, up a very good point, though, because you mentioned that um, it, it's, we need social safety nets. And if you think about it, the idea of social safety nets, the culture of this country is that that's always for the weak. The ones yeah. who don't want to work hard enough, the ones who haven't, you know, saved during their life to where they have a comfortable retirement. It's for the weak of our society. But mm -hmm. this proves that that's not the case. There are very, very hardworking individuals out here that are busting their behinds, that are not lazy, and yet still they are faced with this situation through no fault of their own. So mm -hmm. there definitely needs to be changed. But you know what? The, the Spanish flu and the Great Depression back in the 30s 
brought about change. I know it brought about change in the um, mortgage industry, for an example, to where you couldn't just call somebody up and say, hey, we're taking the house back because, you know, we, we're as a, as a bank, we need money. So we're going to foreclose on your house and sell it because we need money to stay alive. I mean, that's right. the way it was back then. And so maybe because of all these situations we're developing right now, there will be some changes. I guess time will tell. I hope and pray. I hope and pray because you can only, as a doctor, you can only do so much. If people can't afford food, they can't afford housing, they can't afford their health insurance, they can't afford these things, you're giving them, even if telling them to eat a healthy diet or you're, it's, it's not, it's not going to have the effect it would if they actually had you know, had the, the, the social determinants of health, which is good housing, you know, <clears throat> you know good healthy food. They, 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 they need these things. So that is, uh, so it comes right back to diabetes, to the, the fear and the stress and the high cortisol levels that, that this type of situation must be generating in a lot of people. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. So. Boy, oh boy. Well, hey, Dr. Book, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a fantastic discussion. And uh, we look forward to next week's discussion. What do you want to talk about next week? We'll leave that up to you. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts? Oh, for next week? Um, uh, we can talk about cancer or, yeah, because that's a, that's a huge topic. Okay. Or okay. chronic Chronic inflammation, that's uh, a lot of people have like chronic pain syndromes, yeah. and, um, you know, so there's a lot that's related to diet and all of these things can are actually improved significantly by changing your eating habits. Wow, that's, that's quite a, a teaser for next week. That's fantastic. So I'll tell you what, we're not going to announce just yet what we're going to be talking about next week, but what we will do is we'll say tune in because you will be in for a pleasant surprise and have some wonderful beneficial information that you can certainly uh, benefit from. Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's disease is actually quite, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, Alzheimer's disease might be of interest to people okay. because Alzheimer's is, uh, it's worse to me than any other disease because you're still alive, but your brain's gone, you know, so we can talk about Alzheimer's. Okay. All right. So maybe we'll put that on the schedule. So either way, People, we certainly invite you, or family, I should say, not people. You're closer to us than that, and we certainly appreciate you listening to this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Don't forget to go to lifestylemedicine.solutions, and you'll be able to uh, listen to this podcast and others and get other valuable information on Dr. Rook and the Optimal Health and Wellness Clinic, which is the current name, uh, which will be changing to the Optimal Health Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. So we look forward to that. And uh, please be back next week to listen to another fantastic podcast to learn more about how you can benefit yourself by healthy eating. So good night to all. We thank you so much, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Okay.